And that portion of scripture that we're looking at today is very rich with meaning. We could go a lot of different directions with it. But we're just going to focus on one part. And with today being the first Sunday of Advent, um, as we begin to prepare our hearts for Christmas and the coming of Christ, we're starting a short series that will take us right up to Christmas Day, and including Christmas Day. The passage speaks of God sending his son, as Elizabeth read, at a particular point in time. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, his coming. And it goes on to state that the reason he came in that text is that he would redeem us so that we might receive adoption as sons. And we're going to look in depth at the fact that all of those Jesus has saved have been adopted into the family of God. And when I say the word adoption, your thoughts may pick up other words uh, that that relate to that words like family or child orphan but i have to admit that my thoughts go to the musical annie anybody here seen annie all right so specifically i'm thinking about the 1982 movie version starring carol burnett as mrs hannigan where she runs a new york city Girls' Orphanage in 1933 with memorable songs like Tomorrow, Maybe, Easy Street, and of course, It's the Hard Knock Life. The most memorable line for me in the movie is when a frustrated and exasperated Mrs. Hannigan looks at these poor children and says, now catch the irony here, why any kid would want to be an orphan is beyond me. And he goes on to be adopted by Daddy Warbucks, and her life changes much for the better. So let me tell you another adoption story, one that's true. My sister and my brother-in-law adopted a young girl from Liberia in West Africa. Her name is Nia. At about eight years old, she had lived most of her life in an orphanage with dozens, if not hundreds, of other orphans in a war-torn country. Most of those had been abandoned by their parents or their parents simply could not provide for them. Nia came home to Nashville to a loving family, three brothers, two sisters, a comfortable house and plenty of food education opportunities, and a future life that was just not possible back in Liberia. Nia's life changed because of her adoption. She had opportunities now that weren't possible before. She had a new family, a new future. She had a new last name, and she had a new life. So looking at the text today, and as we talk throughout this, the scripture uses the word son, but I don't want that to distract you by thinking male child versus a female child. Some Bible translations will say sons and daughters, but the most accurate way to think of this is sonship. 
Paul in this passage is stating that we as followers of Christ have gained what we have, what they have gained. And in the context he was writing in, the Greco-Roman world of the first century, sons had all the rights and daughters had none. Daughters couldn't inherit from their fathers. And in many other ways, they were treated as second-class citizens. In fact, the original hearers of this would have been surprised to hear that women were elevated to the same spiritual status as men. Now, because of Christ's work, both men and women had the full rights of sonship in their Heavenly Father's eyes. That would have been amazing for them to hear. Now, here's a way to think about what spiritual adoption looks like. Let's say that you break into a house, tear some things up, and you steal some things. You're caught, arrested, and brought in front of the judge. And in a strange twist of fate, it was, in fact, this very judge's house that you broke into. And it was his valuables that you stole. You are declared guilty. But the judge says, instead of punishing you, that his own innocent son will be punished for you. Not only that, but now the judge is going to adopt you as his own child and give you all the privileges as if you were his natural-born son. To escape punishment is one thing, and that's very good, to escape punishment. But to be given all these blessings on top of that, that is beyond belief. So we're going to investigate this text today, this passage of Galatians 4, talking about what we celebrate at Christmas, the idea of spiritual, the fact of spiritual adoption. And we're going to ask four questions in doing this. So if you're a note taker, now's the time to get ready. Now, the first question is more of an objection. And maybe you've said this or heard this. Aren't we all God's children? This is a common idea in our culture. Um, you, in talking with people, just about spiritual things, this will come up. You've probably heard it said or sung it, and maybe you even said it, and there's even some Christian and gospel songs that loosely give this idea that everyone universally are part of the family of God. And there is a bit of truth to that, in that God our Creator is our Father. In Acts chapter 17 and Luke chapter 3, uh, it specifically talks about we are God's children due to the fact of him creating us. But there are multiple places in Scripture that states that those not in Christ are not God's spiritual children. But in fact, as Jesus tells the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. And so he is emphatically stating, you're not mine, you're his. Theologian J.I. Packer helps with this explanation in his classic book, Knowing God. When he asks ask and answers the question, what is a Christian? 
The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. But cannot this be said of every person, Christian or not? Emphatically, no. The idea that all are children of God is not found in the Bible anywhere. The Old Testament shows God as the father, not of all, but of his own people, the seed of Abraham. And the New Testament has a world vision, it's large, but it too shows God as the Father, not of all, but of those who, knowing themselves to be sinners, put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their divine sin-bearer and master, and so become Abraham's spiritual seed. Sonship to God is not therefore a universal status into which everyone enters by natural birth, but a supernatural gift, which one receives through receiving Jesus. The gift of sonship to God becomes ours, not through being born, but through being born again. So distinctions made. In answer to the first question, while there's a sense in which we are all God's children, by right of creation, in the sense that really matters the most, we are not all God's children. Only those who have been born again are adopted by God. And that brings us to our second question. What is spiritual adoption? To help us answer this question, let's look at what adoption looked like in Paul's day and what the original hearers of this might have picked up on when they first heard these words. In the time that this letter to the church in Galatia was written, here's how legal adoption worked. A wealthy person, a man, could legally adopt someone else's son to be his own son, even if that son's biological parents were still alive. And if those parents were still alive, the birth parents gave up all rights to the son. And in fact, the Roman emperor Augustus adopted several sons in succession till he got the one he wanted. And he finally settled on making Tiberius the heir to his throne and to his empire. So this spiritual adoption has some similarities, it has some differences. We're going to look at these broadly, and then we're going to narrow it down to exactly how we can apply this to our lives. First, spiritual adoption means a new relationship. Like in a natural adoption, spiritual adoption is someone taking for a son or a daughter someone who is not so by nature and birth. It means new delights. It's being adopted to an inheritance. In the spiritual sense, an inheritance, as scripture says, which is incorruptible and undefiled. It means a new basis for relationship. As adopted children of God, we don't have to earn his favor or behave in a certain way to keep this adoption or not behave in a certain way for him to accept us. He loves us because he loves us. Spiritual adoption is a voluntary act 
from our Father. He exercises his sovereign will in the matter mediated by Christ through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Next, it means a new name. It means that the adopted person now bears the name of God and can call him Father and enjoy him as the good Father he is. And it means a new family. The adopted person becomes the recipient of the compassion and care of our Heavenly Father and is accepted into full family rights and privileges. And looking into the future, it is a future universal blessing. In the grand scheme and scope of time and eternity aspect, the entire creation benefits from this adoption. And from the adopted one receiving the deliverance of his body from decay and death. Romans 8, 22 and 23 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption the redemption of our bodies. J.I. Packer helps us again with this. The adopted status of believers means that in and through Christ, God loves them as he loves his only begotten son. And he will share with them all the glory that is Christ now. Here and now, believers are under God's fatherly care and discipline and are directed, especially by Jesus, to live their whole lives in light of the knowledge that God is their Father in heaven. They are to pray to him as such, imitate him as such, trust him as such, thus expressing the childlike instinct that the Holy Spirit has implanted in them. So, quick summary. Paul says that one of the purposes that God sent his Son into the world for which is what we especially celebrate at Christmas, is that we might receive adoption as children of God. This means that human beings are not universal, universally spiritually sons and daughters of God in spite of what people may think. And we've answered the question, what is spiritual adoption? By comparing and contrasting it with natural adoption. So third question. What are the benefits of spiritual adoption to me? So if you have received Jesus by faith and been adopted into the family of God, then you are an heir. Now, Jesus is the natural heir of God. And we are adopted heirs with all the same benefits that Jesus has. Being a co-heir with Christ means that we, as God's adopted children, will share in the inheritance of Jesus. What belongs to Jesus also belongs to us. Christ gives us his glory, his riches, and all things. We are as welcome in God's family as Jesus is. We are, as it says in Ephesians 1.6, we are accepted in the Beloved. All that belongs to Jesus Christ will belong to us, the co-heirs, as well. 
back to Annie for just a minute. When Annie moves from the orphanage to the Warbucks mansion, it is an incredible change for her. She leaves behind a spiteful, alcoholic caretaker and enters a relationship with a caring father. She goes from having no possessions to having a fortune at her disposal. The hard knock life is overcome by the brightness of a sunny tomorrow. Seen from a Christian perspective, Annie pictures what being a co-heir with Christ means. Another benefit, you have a new family as being an adopted child of God. You have brothers, sisters, spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers. So let me encourage you to embrace that. And we, and we exhibit that by serving together joyfully. We celebrate together. We grieve together. And we sacrifice for one another in this family. When I speak of family, there, some of you may have an internal pause or a wince because not everyone feels loved and nourished by their adoptive family, or by their natural family, rather. That's real. But let me encourage you, as an adopted child of God, you can embrace this new family that God has put you in. And specifically, your local church as family. Not, again, not perfect. Some of you have experienced hurt from local churches. We will acknowledge that. But don't let that keep you away from desiring and embracing what God has for you. So think about, even this morning, how we've experienced this new family. We came together in the same place at the same time. We have been singing together. We've read scripture together. We've prayed together. We've, uh, we're listening to a sermon together. And in a little while, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, I want to encourage you, as you form lines and come forward, look around. Look around at the family God has put here. He's given you brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. And it's not just you, it's a family. We recognize that other churches are also part of that family. Churches in the past, churches now, churches in the future will be part of that family. That's why we regularly pray for and thank God for other churches. And some of us have recently gathered with our earthly families or will very soon. We don't see these families through the year, but we enjoy catching up, getting together, finding out what's going on or reconnecting because we share that common bond of natural family. They're cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents. Likewise, all who are true believers are part of our spiritual family. They may worship differently than we do. The person who truly believes and proclaims Jesus is Lord at the AMA Zion Church down the street is your spiritual family member. 
you have more in common with a Chinese believer who is meeting in secret than you do with a blood relative who doesn't know Christ. We're bound together by the Holy Spirit in us and our common belief in historic Orthodox creeds, like the Apostles' Creed, that we recite here regularly. So the next time we say those creeds, think it, think that, you know, it's not just us. There's a, there's a church around the world that believes the same thing we do. That's part of our spiritual family. Thank God for them and pray for them. Now, families also experience honor, suffering, shame. Natural families do those things. The honor we experience as members of the same spiritual family is a manifestation of the honor that Christ deserves and receives. The suffering we experience as spiritual family together is an extension of the suffering of Christ. And the guilt and sin of sin and cultural shame that we encounter has all been absorbed for us by Christ. So you have a new spiritual family. You have a new relationship with God as well. We can speak to God and relate to him as a good, loving father, not as a slave to a master. He loves us and he understands us. He meets our needs. He gives good gifts. And he gives us an inheritance that is eternal. In the Lord's Prayer, when we say, forgive us our sins, remember the first words of that prayer also, our Father. We're asking a Father to forgive us our sins, not our judge. One of those gifts that he gives us is the Holy Spirit. The, even this text talks about that, and we'll touch on that in a minute. That we have a helper. We're, we're not uh, alone. The Holy Spirit is in us. Another benefit, we receive loving child training. Now, those of us that are parents know that we have to correct and discipline our children. We do that out of care for them and love for them. As our Heavenly Father corrects and disciplines us, it's out of care and love as well. Not as punishment, but as loving correction. We receive a share in Christ's suffering and glory. Romans 8.17 speaks about both our sharing in Christ's status as heir and sharing in his suffering and glory. We have a new home. Among believers now, eternally in heaven. And as adopted children of God, we will be reflecting the holiness of God imitating him. We begin to be identified as one of his children. It's funny to me, the older I get, the more I look like my dad. I don't see it as much, but other people will tell me that. Likewise, as we grow as spiritual children, we reflect more and more of God's character in our lives. Jen Wilkins' really, really good book, In His Image, 
she breaks down how the attributes of God that we can take as our own. Holy, loving, good, just, merciful, gracious, faithful, patient, truthful, wise. As those traits become more evident in our lives, we begin to look like our Father. And we have a new hope. One day our adoption will be completed with the redemption of our bodies that will be sinless. And we will be with Jesus. Hallelujah. Number four, how do I make this doctrine of a spiritual adoption precious to me? Because it's possible to be adopted and not get the benefits from it. So remember, I started by telling you a story about my niece, Nia, who was adopted from Liberia. She really, really struggled with her adoption. After a couple of years of incredible struggles, including threats from Nia to harm the family, my sister and her brother-in-law found another family to readopt Nia to. Through channels and networks that adoptive families use, a family was located that would accept Nia. This adoption was also tumultuous. The last that we heard, Nia was an 18-year-old homeless runaway in Hawaii. Because of the brokenness of humanity and the world in which we live, not every earthly adoption works to the advantage of the adopted child. And that reality is intensified when the child holds herself back from whatever joys and delights may be hers in this new family. So, adopted child of God, spiritually speaking, are there evidences in your life right now that you may not be living into the precious benefits of adoption? What might make you hold yourself back from experiencing the joys and delights that are yours in spiritual adoption? Maybe you feel unlovable, too broken to be accepted and adopted, too much baggage to be loved by God. Maybe you feel like you're a mistake and oops, that God just has to put up with. Or maybe your own experiences with a broken family makes trusting God as a father through your spiritual adoption a terrifying prospect. What if, in your mind, his love becomes conditional as well? What if he also expects perfection from you? So there's enough going on in our hearts as believers to keep us from enjoying the benefits and the preciousness of our adoption by God. But these verses continue to preach good news to us. God has not just adopted us. He has provided the Spirit to apply these adoptive realities to our lives. Let's look back at the text. Verse 4. God sent His Son 
And verse 6 says, And because you are sons, have sonship. God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And this Spirit enables and empowers us to enjoy adoption to its fullest extent. Literally, when we don't know how to relate to God as Father, the Spirit of God within us is calling out to God as Father in the most intimate and fatherly terms. It's like a child crying, Daddy. So the Spirit connects us to the fatherly heart of God in the most intimate and direct way. So how can you and I embrace this adoption? Start by thinking about it, meditating on it when you pray. Think about that you are praying to our tender Heavenly Father. Now this reality of adoption has been appreciated not just by theologians and those in academia, but it also sustained Christian slaves here in America that endured the brutality of bondage. And it even helped some of them, this idea that God is their heavenly father. It helped them to risk their lives in search of freedom. They saw God not only as their sovereign Lord, but as their tender father. Slaves William and Ellen Craft clung to the joy of adoption when they ran away from their masters. Years later, after their escape, they wrote, When the time had arrived for us to start, we blew out the lights, knelt down, and prayed to our Heavenly Father mercifully to assist us, as He did His people of old, to escape from cruel bondage, and we shall ever feel that God heard and answered our prayer. Think also about how this relates to the doctrine of the assurance of our salvation. Romans 8, 15 and 16 tells us that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are, in fact, God's children. That could be a prayer for you. As you pray, Father, make it very real to me through your spirit that I'm your child. Think about it again in how that helps you think, understand and appreciate the church. Ask your spiritual brothers, your sisters, fathers and mothers into your life. Accept it when they invite you into their life. Love each other as family. Protect each other, serve each other, sacrifice for each other. And think how it gives us motivation to act, this spiritual adoption. Help others with natural child adoption. Uh, if you have opportunity to assist someone who's going through the adoption process, that's a wonderful way for you to manifest, I'm spiritually adopted. That's a, that's a symbol of what I've, I'm, has happened to me. I want to help with that. And invite others into this family. 
we have an obligation and delight of inviting others into this experience of this adoption. And if you today have not yet experienced the blessing of spiritual adoption, the invitation from God is open right now through Christ. Where you're sitting right now, you can turn from your sin and place your hope for salvation in Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life that you and I have not lived, and he died the death that we should die in our, in, in our place. Trust him for your salvation. If you would like to talk about this further, I'll be around after the gathering. Or maybe the person that invited you and you came with, maybe you could just sit and read through the Gospel of John together and discuss it as you read. Another way to put this into place is that we have connections through Sojourn to help prisoners who need spiritual family. You could help to disciple a prisoner, encourage them, love them, and I'll be happy to give you some more information about that. My niece, Nia, because of past trauma and other issues, only experienced a brief taste of the joys of her adoption into my family. What's holding you back? If you're a follower of Christ, embrace your spiritual adoption. For all that it is, empowered by the Spirit, your Father in heaven wants that for you. Let's look at the text again. Galatians 4, chapter 4, verse 3, 7. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, when we were defiant in our sins and running from your love, you saved us. You not only forgave our sins and gave us an eternity with you, but you gave us your family as adopted children. What an incredible joy this is to us. We pray that this truth will be made vibrant in our hearts and lives and that we will walk daily knowing that you love us and nothing that we do or don't do will change that. Amen.